Okay, good morning. It's good to see you. Um, my wife has disappeared. I don't know what that says about what I'm going to say this morning, but um, it's good to see you. My name's Steve, for those of you who don't know, and uh, with Tammy, we have the privilege of helping to lead this thing we call Central Vineyard. Um, it feels like I haven't been here for a few weeks. Last week, uh, Tammy and I were in Rawns. Uh, as we launched the next um, Central Vineyard location, it went really well. We had 105 people show up, which was uh, really great and just a wonderful time. Um, and in fact, it went better than we expected. Okay, so um, that's slightly unnerving, isn't it, when things go better than you anticipated? But um, uh, we had a, r- a real fun time. Just to let you know something that's happening in terms of just what's developing in Rawns. Um, You know, obviously, they were a pre-existing church, and they are coming under our wing. And, uh, you know, one of the things, one of the tasks that we've got to do is is kind of help them to become more like us. And, um, uh, you know, some might call it cultural indoctrination. um, But, you know, really just wanting to shape the culture of the church. And and so one of the things that's going to be happening is Pete and Anya, our associate pastors, uh, are going to be more present in Rawns this term. So um, if you don't see them here on a Sunday, it's not because they've fallen out with us, left, okay, or anything like that. Uh, They're just in Rawns. They're helping us just shape the culture there. And then a number of our staff are just going to be in and out of Rawns. So it might be that over the coming weeks, you're going to see some different faces here on stage, giving notices, leading the service. And and the only reason why is because some of our other leaders and staff are going to be in other different locations. So that's... Uh, that's just to be clear, um, we haven't fired Pete and Anya, okay? Um, they are well and truly still here, but they're just helping us out in Rawns. Um, so last Sunday, uh, if you were here, we began a, a real short teaching series that we call Contending for Renewal. Um, I don't know if you was around last week, but one of the things that we uh, are talking about is that our culture at large... You know, the, the culture around us, uh, we're often told that um, the key to contentment, the, the key to happiness, the, the key to feeling fulfilled, uh, living with joy, uh, is to simply consume as much as we possibly can. That, that somehow, the more we consume, the happier we will be. Did anybody queue for the iPhone 11 this week? No? No one. Well done. Uh, who needs a phone with three camera lenses? Um, yeah, one of, the, one of the things that we read about in the scriptures is that life is not centered around what we consume. Actually, life, uh, according to the scriptures, is centered around the person of Jesus Christ. That contentment in the Christian life isn't found in what we do. It isn't found in what we achieve. It isn't found in what we consume. That actually the Christian life finds its source and nourishment uh, in a place of connection and closeness to Jesus. That's where we find life. Jesus, in John 15, he tells us to remain in him. And he will remain in us. And then you will be fruitful. That's what he says. And then he drops this killer line. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, there's nothing else you can do. You see, the whole Christian life is to posture ourselves 
around the person of Jesus. And the reality is anything else, any other input that we have um, doesn't bear the fruit that we long for. It doesn't have that output that we, we, we long to see in our lives. And so our hope in this kind of short teaching series uh, is, is really it would act as a little bit of a catalyst uh, to what we believe God is kind of doing in our midst. That, that we, you see, we have this tendency to carry that mindset that what we consume is what will give us fulfillment. We, we carry that mindset into our, our faith, into our life uh, with Jesus and what happens is, is we end up having a version of the Christian faith where we live our life through Jesus by consuming religious goods and services. That we bring that consumer mentality to our faith. That's, we have a tendency uh, to do that. And, um, and, and what that does is it reduces the job of leaders uh, to keep you mildly entertained Okay, uh, to keep you mildly entertained. And as long as you pay your tithes and offerings, we can afford to warehouse you here until you die. That's essentially the trap that we so often fall into. And so the inputs of our faith get reduced to what we can acquire. They get reduced to the things that we consume. And, and all what happens is we end up fooling ourselves. We end up thinking that somehow I'm growing in my faith because I'm consuming all these things. I'm listening to the right podcast. I'm, I'm playing the right Christian music. I'm, 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 you know, I've, I've bought all the right Christian books. I haven't read any, but I've bought them. And we think by just consuming all the right stuff that somehow we're growing closer to Jesus. And yet Jesus says, remain in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so our desire is that we would recognize this disposition that we have as people to consume. And, you know, that's hard, isn't it? That's a hard thing to acknowledge. It's a hard thing to think, you know what, I know I bring that mentality to my faith. I know I can treat my faith with consumption. It's a machine. It's, it's the thing that keeps our culture going, that we would be people who consume. It's the God of our age. But the invitation, I believe, from the Lord in this season is that we wouldn't be a people who consume, but we would be a people who contend. That we would go from being consumers to contenders. And contending is hard work. It's hard work. Mark Sayers, who um, has re recently written a book called Reappearing Church, I'd really encourage you to pick up a copy and not just put it on your shelf, but read it. Um, but he says this, he says, consumer culture disciples us to change our external situation through purchasing to bring Pleasure, meaning, and happiness to our inner world. Contending takes the opposite approach. Personal renewals begin in the hidden places, often driven by solitary prayer and self-examination. Communion with God, fasting, and the habits of secrecy. The uprooting of sinful patterns and confessions with trusted leaders and pastors. Eventually, this inner change of the heart will overflow out into our external lives, creating a potential for renewal in the social world around us. You see, when we posture ourselves 
to contend, we choose transformation over what we can consume. We choose to lean into a life of transformation, a life where we say, Jesus, come and have your way, rather than a life that says, how much can I get? How much can I consume uh, in, in this moment? You see, to contend is a posture, is to posture ourselves around what God is doing in the world. That, that there's this wonderful drama, God's story is unfolding in our world and he invites us into, into that story. And yet contending requires a level of perseverance. It requires uh, a perseverance of heart. You see, uh, consumption is all about instant gratification, isn't it? It's all about, you know, I need this. It's going to make me feel good. I'm going to be happy. It's going to fulfill my life. That's what consumption tells us. It's instant gratification. But, but contending requires perseverance, uh, requires uh, this conviction of heart that I'm going to stay in this place. I'm going to contend for these things and wait for the fruit to come. And there's sometimes there's a delay, isn't there? There's a delay between the things that we long for and, and, and what God wants to do. Mark says, it is in the book that like I mentioned, he, he has this little thing where he says, perseverance builds character. Character builds a spiritual authority. Spiritual authority builds influence, and influence spreads the renewal. And so we have to resist this urge for instant gratification. You know, the longing of our hearts is that God would come and make all things new. That's the longing in our hearts. The, the scriptures talk about the spirit and the bride. They cry out, come Jesus, come and have your way. Come and do what you need to do. And we need to posture ourselves in that place of contending, in that place of perseverance, uh, a perseverance of heart. And one of the ways that we persevere in, in this longing for God to move, one of, the, one of the things that we can give ourselves to as we cry out for God to renew all things, to make all things new, is that we can contend in prayer. That, that one of the ways that we lean into this posture of contending is in prayer. And so as we lean into this call to join God in the renewal of all things, one of the things that I've been doing over this last year is just reading about some of the, the great, great moves of God throughout church, church history, uh, how God's Spirit has moved in the past in renewals, awakenings, uh, revivals, if you like. Uh, and, and one of the common threads I see is this. Is, is, is first of all that corporate renewal or revival is often preceded by personal renewal or revival. That, that often the thing that God wants to do out there, the thing that God wants to do in the wider community, he often wants to do in us first. So that's one of the, the, the key components to every move of God that I've read about. The second is this, renewal, revival, awakening. A move of God's spirit is often preceded by a movement of prayer. A movement of prayer where people get on their knees and contend, where they call out to God, they, they cry out to him 
to move. And so um, over this time, as I said, I've been just reading lots about different moves of God in history. And one of the last great moves of God's Spirit in Western culture was in 1949 in the, the village of Barvis on the Isle of Lewis in the Hebrides in the northern tip of Scotland. And that revival was sparked by two old elderly sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. One of them was 84, the other 82. One was completely blind, the other was doubled up uh, in arthritis. Not very impressive in the eyes of the world. They didn't really have much to offer. They weren't on the worship team. They didn't have skinny jeans. You know, there was, uh, there was nothing... Uh, appealing uh, about them in, in, in that sense. But the thing that they could do was pray. And on one occasion, as these sisters sat in front of their fire in their little cottage, um, they, they begin to pray and the Lord began uh, to speak to them. And that they had a vision, you know, that one of the things that they were burdened for was that the, the lack of young people who were in the church, that in their community, none of the young people were in church. And as they prayed with this burden, God gave them a vision of the church full of young people. And, and, and so what they did was they summoned the local minister. Um, they summoned him to their home, and, and they told him uh, that what the Lord was going to do. That they, they said to him, you better get ready because revival is going to come. I don't know how I would feel if two of our more aging members of the church phoned me up and said, revival's going to come. But he responded. He, he responded. And, and so what they committed to do was this. They, uh, Peggy and Christine said, if you will call the elders and the deacons of the church together to pray twice a week, we will do the same from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. That's courageous, isn't it? I didn't know there was four, two four o'clocks in one day, but uh, from 10 a.m. to 4 a.m., we will pray and call out to God. And so this series of, of, of twice-weekly prayer meetings began uh, to happen in Babis, and, and, and they continued month after month after month with very little seeming to change, and, and, um, but they persevered. Because they believed God had spoken. They believed God had said revival's going to come uh, to the Isle of Lewis. The Hebrides are going to be revived. They, they truly believed it and they resolved themselves to pray. And then one evening, one of the elders of the church stood up and he read from Psalm 24. He said this, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by false gods, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. And as he read this, he stood before them and said, what use is it praying all these prayers if our hearts aren't clean, if our hearts aren't pure? And he stands there, he raises his hands to him and he says, Lord, is my heart clean? Is my heart pure? And in that moment, the Spirit of God fell, and he fell prostrate on the floor. And um, many historians would say this was the moment that revival broke out in the Hebrides. And so a Gaelic 
evangelist, a Gaelic-speaking evangelist called Duncan Campbell, came uh, to, to the Hebrides. He was meant to be there for two weeks. He went home two years later. And when he got there, uh, things had already started to happen. The church meetings were overflowing uh, with people. God was on the move. People were sovereignly moved towards God. People were waking up in the middle of the night and think, having this overwhelming urge to go to church. Uh, just waking up. People were working in the fields and falling down and repenting on their knees. Young people were fleeing dances and bars in terror, asking, what must we do to be saved? This was truly a sovereign work of God. But it began in a place of contending in prayer. And, and God you know, he's looking, I believe, for those who will pray. Ezekiel 22, it famously says this, Ezekiel 22:30. I look for someone among them who would build up the walls and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. God is looking for those who will contend, those who will seek him in that place of prayer. And, and so I want to I be really practical this morning. I just want to talk about just some different things that I think we could do to posture ourselves uh, in this, this place of contending prayer. And so just if you take notes, then I've got six things that I think we could, we could do, we could lean into. So the first one this is, contending prayer is a response to the Father's heart. It's a response to the Father's heart. If, it, it's, it's important to remember that contending doesn't start with, with us. It's not something we muster up. It's not something that we can manufacture. That the burden con- to contend starts with God the Father. You see, he's the Father of compassion. He's he, he sees the pain and the cries of our community around us, and it moves his heart. And, and what he does is he calls us to, to partner with him. And, um, you know, when, when we see the pain and brokenness around us, it should move our hearts too. We should be moved in some way, some way that we're, we're moved to a place where we call out and pray to him. You know, I, one of the things I found myself praying in this season is, is that, you know what, God, you care more about this stuff than I do. Can anybody relate to that prayer? You know, that, that there's so much brokenness, there's so much pain, there's, there's so much dysfunctional things going on in our communities. And, and, and actually, God, I think I care about it, but I realize you care about it more than I do. And that's a scary prayer to pray, isn't it? that God would give us his heart, you know, give us how he feels. We, we often sing that song, don't we? Break our hearts with what breaks yours. And we do it quite candidly, and we wave our hands at the right time, and, and we do all that. But what would happen if God took us up on that request? What would happen if, if God said, okay, then I'm going to give you my heart for things. I'm going to show you how I feel about the brokenness of your world. I'm going to reveal to you what this looked like. And so God might take us up on a prayer like that, so be careful. Uh, when we open our hearts to contend, we, we step into a new place of intimacy with the Father. 
uh, that we're, we're drawn near to him and he gives us his heart in the process. He, he allows us to hear his voice, what he has to say about a situation. You see, you see this is, is, is part of what this understanding of, you know, any corporate renewal, any corporate waking that takes place has to start on a personal level. It, it comes out of our intimacy with God. Uh, and so we have to examine our own hearts, don't we? If we're, if we're going to be people who contend, if we're going to be people who go after this stuff, we have to examine our own hearts. We have to be brave like the people of, of the Hebrides and say, have I got a clean hands? Have I got a pure heart, God? Will you come and do something in me? And so it begins with our relationship with God. Uh, the second thing is contending prayer opens our imagination to what God can do. When we begin to contend in prayer, uh, we begin to imagine and pray what God's will is. <laughs> we begin to imagine that. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. And I guess the question is, is do we dare to dream and imagine what God can only do? Do we dare to, to believe that? Do we dare to believe God could do something in Northampton, in, in our time, in our day? Do we dare to believe? Have we got an imagination for that. You see, contending is going after the big things and believing what God wants to do. And we pray believing because we believe that is the Father's heart. It is what he wants to do. It is, it, we, do we believe he wants to bring transformation. We believe that he is in the business of making all things new. You know, and there's so often our imaginations are so limited we were praying as a staff team this week, and as you know, we launched a, a midweek uh, service this week. We're called Gateway. It's really just a, a place for people who, um, who might find coming into an environment like this a difficult one. And so we launched this new service, and I, you know, I th as we were praying, the thing that I felt was, you know, we could limit our prayers to, God, let people turn up. <laughs> That's what we could do. We could just say, God, just let it be a success. Um, don't let us look like failures, um, but let, pe let people turn up. And, and I really felt the Lord arrest us in the, in the prayer meeting and say, no, no, don't pray for that. Pray for lives to be transformed. Pray for people to encounter me. Pray that, that those that walk through the door will have a real transformative experience of Jesus. And you see, there's, there's a difference in posture. There's a difference in imagination. Uh, there's a difference in, in how do we pray those things into being? How do we begin to see what God is doing and having an imagination to pray it? The third thing is this. Contending prayer is praying in the power and personhood of Jesus' name. In John 14, Jesus says this. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. In biblical times, uh, a name wasn't just a name. 
Uh, what someone was called was, was tied to their very pers- personhood. It was tied to their very character. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, it's not just like some tagline that we, we put onto the end of our prayers. Is it kind of like it seals the deal if we pray in Jesus' name? That, that isn't what, what this means. Praying in Jesus' name is praying in line with who Jesus is all that he represents. It's, it's praying in line with his character, his attributes. It's, it's all that he wills to do. Praying in the power of Jesus' name gives us confidence to pray his will. This passage is often misunderstood, like Jesus is implying that praying is some sort of like genie, and if we shine the lamp, we get what we wish. You know, that, that's kind of often I've heard people reduce this passage uh, to that kind of mentality. But actually, this is rooted in doing what the Father's doing. Yeah? He says the Son is there to bring glory to the Father. And, and so if, we are, uh, if we've been given the authority, if we've been given the task that Jesus has been given, then actually this is more than that. It's, it's about mo- prayer becoming this thing that is, is living out the Father's will. It's, it's praying in the will of Jesus, praying in the power of his name. So, um, so we do that in the power and personhood, in the character of Jesus when we pray in his name. The fourth thing is this, contending prayer is a call to battle. To contend is an advancement. It's, it's taking ground. It's stepping into battle. It's going in for the fight. It's It's prayer that's rooted in the authority that Jesus gives us, that we've been given Jesus' authority. Uh, Jesus said, all authority is given to you, Uh, the authority that he had. But we need to also understand that um, there is resistance in prayer. There is resistance in prayer. How many people have fallen asleep in a prayer meeting? Um, (laughs) There is resistance in prayer. It's it's hard. There's a battle to be faced. We have an enemy who wants to challenge our prayer. He wants to challenge our intimacy with God. He wants to challenge the advancement of God's kingdom. This is a battle. I'm not gonna not gonna water it down. When we when we choose to posture ourselves in a place of contending, we're entering into battle. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The dictionary definition um, to contend is this, to strive or vie in contest or rivalry against difficulty. Or another word for contend is to struggle. Contending prayer is to struggle. In fact, we could we could change that word. It's for it's it's for contending. uh, For our contending is not against flesh and blood. And so, um, you know, this really flies in the face of our urge to consume. You see, the goal of consumption is to mask away difficulty, isn't it? It's to 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 hide pain and, 
and make ourselves feel better. That's, that's, that's the urge that we have. But to contend in prayer is actually to face difficulty, to, to face it head on, uh, to draw the sword, metaphorically speaking, and, and, and to go into battle, uh, to face the battle. Contending prayer is a call to fight. It's fight club. We don't talk about fight club, but, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's fight club. And uh, we're here to fight. Number five, contending prayer leans into the upside-down nature of the kingdom. None of us need to be rock stars to have effective prayers. Christine and Peggy Smith, two old women, they, they weren't that impressive in the world's standards. Yet in the kingdom of God, they were giants of the faith. They were people of significance. You see, his power is made perfect in weakness. That's the nature of the kingdom. That's the upside-downness of the kingdom. And some of us might feel like we've got nothing to give in prayer. Some of us might feel, you know what, I just don't know the words to say. I don't know where I would begin. I don't know how to do this. And yet I believe if we choose to stand with him, if we choose to step into a place of intimacy with him, then I think we get a different perspective. One author said this, God longs to open the door of spiritual reality to to us. He wants us to sit with him in heavenly places. We must live with a spiritual vantage point from the throne room of God. The throne of God is the seat of his authority. It represents the place from which he rules and reigns over the nations. Jesus invites us to this place of authority and victory. We have to see the Lord. We, we have to accept the invitation to come up high around his throne, to behold Jesus, to see him and believe. Once you see this, you have hope. And once you see what God sees, then you can come into agreement with his purposes. You see, when we pray, we need to gain a heavenly perspective. We, we need to see things from God's vantage point. We need to be in close proximity to him, see the world as he sees it, through this lens of his kingdom. And then lastly, contending prayer is continuous prayer. Pete Gregg, who started the 24-7 prayer movement, he said this, continuous prayer is effective because it changes us first and then it changes the world. That when we continually pray, it has a changing effect upon us. First Thessalonians 5 says, rejoice always, pray continually. Or in other translations, it says, pray without ceasing. Continually pray. In the Hebridean revival, there was a boy called Donald the Praying Boy. Wouldn't you love that name, Donald the Praying Boy? And this young boy was so overcome with the Spirit of God, he was like their chief intercessor. And uh, often they would call him into meetings that were a bit flat, and they'd they'd say, Donald, do your stuff. And and, and the Holy Spirit would show up. And on one occasion, Duncan Campbell came to visit Donald the Praying Boy, and Donald the Praying Boy refused to come and see Mr. Campbell because he was inquiring of the Lord. 
He, was, he had an audience with God. So he said, Mr. Campbell will have to wait. I've got an audience with, with the Lord. See, contending prayer isn't a one-off event. It isn't like, oh, I've, I've, I've done that thing, I'll move on. You know, I've, I've had a go, I've done my little bit, I'm going to move on to the next thing now. It's something that we give ourselves to continuously. It's something that we come back to daily. It's a lifestyle. It's a posture of heart. And, um, and it's actually going to be different for every single one of us. And, and, and so you might think, what's the best place to start? Where's the best place for me to go in terms of learning to contend in prayer? And I would say this, start, start off small. Start off small. Maybe a small place for you to start is choosing to contend every day for one particular thing. Maybe you're the only follower of Jesus in your office. What would it mean for you on a daily basis just to contend for your workplace? Just to cry out to God for the environment that you work in? What would it mean for you to, on a daily basis, um, just begin to pray, I don't know, maybe for your local school? Um, who knows that you know, our education system needs God's spirit, needs God to move. Maybe God might call you to contend for your community, for your neighborhood. Maybe um, God would to, to call you to contend for some of the brokenness that surrounds us. Now, can you believe in the 21st century in Northampton, in a fairly you know, middle-class Fairly wealthy bunch of people, there's people living in tents on roundabouts. What would it mean for God to call you to contend for those things every day? Just beginning off small. And you know, in a room like this, if all of us were to contend for something small, that's quite a lot of contending, isn't it? That's quite a lot of contending taking place. And so start off small. Maybe you're ready to take it a little bit further. You know, this term, there are at least two small groups that I know of that are centered around prayer. Um, you know, we've got one group running the prayer course. Tammy's doing a, a group that's uh, around contending in prayer. Um, maybe you could take the choice to, to join a group like that, to just sign up to a group and just say, you know what, I'm going I'm to commit for the next 10 weeks to pray uh, and be in an environment of prayer. Maybe you could form a huddle, and you're thinking, what's a huddle? Well, a huddle is, is a group of people, three or four people of the same sex. We don't manage that. You do that yourself, um, but you form a huddle, and, and, and that huddle, they get together, they share life, they, they practice spiritual disciplines together, and they contend. They pray. So what would it take? For you to grab two, three other people by the hand and say, hey, let's do this. Let's do this contending thing together. And so maybe that's a starting point for you. Maybe you could come to our monthly upper room uh, prayer gathering. Uh, you know, we've, we've really seen God do some significant things as a group of people have come together and just worshipped and prayed. We just worship our hearts out and pray that God would come and move. And God, I, th I just think God is on that. God's doing something wonderful in that environment. And so why don't you come, the 11th of October? <laughs> come, 
and just be part of that gathering. Come and be part of uh, God's people as we gather together and pray. See, we don't want this to be just another teaching series. We don't want this to just tickle your ears a little bit, and then we move on to the next thing, and it will soon be Christmas, and, and, and all of those things. We truly believe God is at, at work, and he wants to move, and he wants to do something significant in our midst that we believe we need more than ever to see a move of God's Spirit in our day, in our time. And it's not good enough to have stories from the 80s or 90s or noughties. I don't know about you, but I want some new stories to tell. I want some new stories to tell of the way that God has moved sovereignly. Wouldn't it be great, like 100 years from now, and, and, and the history books say, do you remember that, that great awakening in Northampton uh, in, in the early 2000s? That's what we long for. We're longing to see God move. We're longing to see God's spirit at work. And yet there's lots of challenges. There's lots of things for us to face. There's there's lots of things for us to lean into. But I think one of the ways that we will effectively see heaven invade earth is through being a people who contend in prayer. And so we long to see uh, that begin in our lives. And so what, what is it we're longing for? What, what is it we hope for? And I think Alan Scott, who, who now leads the Anaheim Vineyard, he, he said this so helpfully. I'm just going to finish with this. He said, the next great move of God is not going to be a movement in the church. It's going to be a movement of the church into society, rewriting the story of every aspect of our cities, everything, everywhere, every day communicating, demonstrating, and celebrating the supremacy of Christ in every corner of culture because he is making all things new. If you're able to, why don't we stand?